Hello and welcome everybody to episode three of the Lost Teams podcast. I am your co-host Anthony Giardelli. With me again today is the co-creator and co-host of the Lost Teams podcast, Andrew Lennox. Andrew, how you doing? I'm doing well. How you doing, Anthony? Doing well. Excited to get this going. We've got some interesting teams today, a couple of interesting uh, teams that kind of they they're lost in one way they're like they don't exist as they did way back when but mm-hmm. they uh the team i'm doing still definitely exists and and traces its history uh now to a modern controversial <laughs> as of late um Interesting. team and and i know the team you're doing they were kind of also uh, we don't want to spoil it yet but they were kind of also um they draw their they can kind of draw their existence forward to a current nhl team Let's just say they were a complete mess. <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. Same, yeah. same with the team I did. So uh, I'll go first. Um, okay. My team, we're, today we're going to talk some football, some NFL football to be exact. Uh, right I'm going to tell you the story of the Boston Braves. So, oh, the at, Boston Braves. Not yeah. New. Atlanta Braves. I don't know fans. anything about them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, people think they do because, I mean, Atlanta Braves fans, Milwaukee Braves fans, Boston baseball Braves fans are going to think, hey, they're talking Major League Baseball, the Boston Braves. I that, That's where my head goes when you say the Boston Braves <laughs> baseball automatically. They, they're actually related, but I am going to talk about the NFL's Boston Braves. All right. Uh, right. That might be confusing. Obviously, uh, the most famous Boston Braves, like I just said, started – Uh, They were in Major League Baseball. They moved to, I believe, Milwaukee and then Atlanta, and they were uh, home to Hank Aaron and a very historic franchise. Uh, The Boston Braves uh, in football are also kind of, in a lot of ways, just as historic, but um, not in as many, (laughs) not in the best ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were other Braves teams in other sports as well, which we might also someday explore. The AHL, American Hockey League's Boston Braves, were the Bruins, uh, Boston Bruins American League hockey affiliate from 1971 to 1974. Um, There was a Boston Braves rugby league team that played in Boston in 2006, I think. Mm. But the NFL's Boston Braves, uh, who we're talking about today, uh, they only played in Boston for four seasons, and only one is the Braves. Uh, But they were very kind of interesting – well, I'll get into it. Uh, First, we'll play a little guessing game. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but uh, who – what modern NFL team do you think uh, started as the Boston Braves? Well, with the name, I'm going to say the Washington Redskins. Well, the former Washington Redskins. The Washington football team, but yes, you nailed it. They're – the, the current Washington football team uh, traces their history all the way back to 1932 when the Boston Braves entered the NFL. The sources for this, this story are an article. Uh, it's dead now. It was alive two weeks ago. Redskins.bridgelinessw.net. History by decades. I think it's an old um, connected to the Redskins website where it just goes through their history. And then the other two are... A, an article called National Football League Franchise Transactions by Joe Horrigan, written in the Coffin Corner in 1996. The Pro Football Hall of Fame had an article as well that didn't have an author, so credit goes to the Pro, Fo- Pro Football Hall of Fame and all of their research. I, I'm sure they mm-hmm. had many researchers. All right, so let's get started. Uh, in the summer of 1932, George Preston Marshall, who was a real scumbag from what I can tell, <laughs> uh, <laughs> decided that he wanted to start a football team. He was a support- The reason I say he was a real scumbag, he was a supporter of segregation 
And mm. he still owned the team in 1969 when they were, I believe they were in Washington at that point. Uh, last owner in the NFL to integrate African-Americans onto his roster. So uh, just a bad guy. Yeah. Uh, he, in 1932, heads a group who buys the NFL franchise for Boston. They wanted to play at Braves Field where the baseball Braves played, which is why they uh, they took the Braves name. It was kind of, uh, f- from what I could tell, it was kind of a research, um, sorry, not a research, uh, a common thing. Like when the NFL started, if they played in baseball stadiums, they would take the name of the baseball team. Uh, mm-hmm. But And also this article is... Uh, uh, this comes from a lot of this information. Grid figure Marshall dies at 72 from the re- Associated Press and Reading Eagle, August 10th, 1969. Um, so uh, the Boston Braves replaced the Newark Tornadoes and the Cleveland Indians. I know confusing another uh, baseball name. <laughs> <laughs> the Indians were mostly a traveling NFL team. So even though they were the Cleveland Indians, they traveled around the nation, which just imagine not playing any home games. It just, that would That's be terrible. That's crazy. Yeah. The Braves yeah. played. They, and I'm sure they got paid terribly. Nothing. Dirt. Yeah. They got to, they paid their train tickets or whatever. For sure. Uh, the Braves played their first game on October 2nd, 1932. They were coached by Lud Ray. What Lud. A, <laughs> what, yeah, what a name. Lud Ray. That's like an early 1900s name if I've ever heard what of it. What would Lud be short for? I I have no, probably some Ludley? story. Ludley, Ludley. <laughs> that's a stupid. That's the stupidest name I've ever heard. <laughs> Ludley. Yeah. I apologize to any Ludleys out there. There might be one or two. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, so they played against the Brooklyn Dodgers, another baseball name. See, you can see a common thread here. And no, sure. I'm not. I'm not getting confused. I didn't do rather that there actually were Brooklyn Dodgers in football. Uh, wow. Huh. The NFL couldn't apparently figure out originality, so they just just stole all the baseball names. So Sounds like it. <laughs> they lost their first game 14 to nothing against the Dodgers. The next week they got their first win over the New York Giants who are obviously uh were actually the New York Giants were a baseball team back then as well. Obviously they're also huh. a uh, uh a football team that still exists today and just played a horrible game last night. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so the NFL basically was the most unoriginal league. In, in its early days on these team names. Yeah, yeah. It's and crazy. I mean, they, that luck probably carried through to last night's Thursday night football game where the New York Giants uh, quarterback, David Jones, Doug Jones? I think it's David Jones. David Jones uh, got free for an 80-yard run untouched, and instead of scoring a touchdown, he tripped on the 20-yard line. <laughs> I didn't watch the game, but I saw that. Oh, it was, that was unbelievable. It was a worst football game I've ever seen. But uh, yeah. Continuing on, uh, in their first season, the team lost $46,000, which according to the dollartimes.com is the equivalent of $809,644.11 in today's money. Jeez. Yeah, talk about a a rough situation. Right. That caused his partners and ownership to cede their stakes to him. That summer, Marshall, as the sole owner, moved the team to Fenway Park and named them the Redskins, which uh, is racist, as we, I think, all agree. Yes, (laughs) sir. It took until this past summer to finally disappear. We'll get into that at the end with the momentum of the the social justice movement and um, rightfully so about, let's see, if that was 1933, so about 80 years too late. 
Yeah. A, uh, a 2014 uh, Washington Post article by Robert McCartney actually refutes the story. So, so part of the excuse in Redskins history to keep the name was, or I'll say Washington, I'll be respectful and call it Washington football team. Washington football team's history to keep their former name, the Redskins, was that it was done to honor their Native American coach, William, and then in quotes, Lone Star Dietz. Uh, we'll get him into a second and that they also had native american players so they decided to name their team the redskins which still racist uh yeah, <laughs> pretty, it's pretty, pretty racist. demeaning yeah it's not <laughs> it's, really honorable but a, a 19 or a 2014 washington post article by robert mccartney refutes the claim that the nfl and uh some washington football fans in ownership have told that their name honors their uh william lone star deets um Rather, Marshall basically said in an article back, uh, this is back in the 40s, but uncovered by Robert McCartney, uh, he changed the team name to avoid confusion with the baseball team. He didn't use Indians because there was the other baseball team and the other former football team that his team became, uh, not because of the head coach and Native American players. But the head coach thing is in dispute as well. Uh, Dietz allegedly was not Native American. So let's get into this guy because he could be a story all of his own. Okay. William Henry Dietz or William Lone Star Dietz was born August 1884. He was a football player and college professional coach. He coached the Redskins to an 11-11-2 record. Wait, uh, one second. Yeah, sorry to interrupt here. Was Lone Star a nickname or act, like a, a nick- middle name? A nickname, I think, because okay. it was in quotes. <laughs> <laughs> Henry was his original middle name. Uh, all right. Uh, his early life was fascinating. He may have started faking his Native American identity as early as elementary school. Hmm. And I, f- I found that from a, uh, a Linda Wagoner article called On Trial, the Redskins' wily mascot, Coach William Lone Star Dietz. Uh, and that was in the Montana Magazine of Western History. So uh, his heritage was first contested in 1916 when former neighbors uh, ratted him out. The FBI investigated him in 1918 where it was discovered that he had assumed the identity of another Native American man who had disappeared in Cuba. Uh, and for those of you wondering why he would do that, I think it's kind of a, I, I'm, I'm not totally sure, I think it's a welfare thing. Like I think he, even back then, Native Americans were given some sort of government uh, subsidy or support, even though I don't think it was obviously wasn't enough to make up for the horrible crimes that were committed against them. But um, I think it was like a, a, a basically a welfare scam that he was doing. Um, so the FBI investigated him in 1918 where blah, blah, blah. He was discovered. He had taken a native American man's identity. Uh, Dietz also claimed he was the head of a production company that made world war one propaganda films, which is, (laughs) he went on trial and this is the most insane part. I'm paraphrasing directly from Wagoner's article. Despite people who witnessed his birth testifying that he was not Native American and the sister of the man whose identity he stole confirming Dietz was not her brother, Dietz's mom claimed that he was the Native American son of her husband who had been switched a week or more after she had had a stillbirth. So that's confusing as hell. What I think happened, what I would guess is that this might be that Dietz's mom and dad were not married. So she's claiming that the man that uh, that Dietz's father was native American and had another baby with some other woman and then switched them when she had had a stillbirth. And then yeah. 
which is just, I mean, I think it wasn't true. <laughs> it was an yeah, outrageous story. Someone's deaf. Well, of course, obviously someone's lying. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, but basically the, the trial resulted in a hung jury because uh, he was, I guess he and his mom's story was so convincing or people just were not paying attention. <laughs> yeah. Um, the trial resulted in a hung jury. Uh, he was immediately retried and found guilty and sentenced to 30 days in jail. Uh, somehow this was forgotten over the decades. In 1988, the National Congress of American Indians tried to discuss the name issue with the Redskins owner at the time, who was none other but Jack Kent Cook, the owner of the Lakers and the Kings, who we discussed in episode one. <laughs> no kidding. Wow. Yeah, it's an interesting tie-in. Uh, How many teams are, did this guy own? Apparently three. Huh. Uh, at least so um but cook refused to accept the meeting so it's just been a kind of a, a i guess a thing that's been lost to history sure. uh his football career though was pretty impressive deets played at the carlisle indian industrial school in carlisle pennsylvania with future football and multi-sport legend jim jim thorpe and uh for legendary coach i don't i think he played with legendary coach pop warner Oh. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, pretty impressive. His college coaching career, yeah. So, I mean, his football his football bona fides are good, but his personal ones, not so much. Yeah. Um, his college coaching career saw him at Washington State Mar- uh, with the Mare Island Marines, Purdue, Louisiana Tech, and Wyoming, and then the Haskell Indians before joining the Redskins in 1933. There were some important performances on the team formerly known as the Braves. In 1933, future Football Hall of Famer Chris Battle ran for more than 200 yards uh, or 215 yards in a touchdown, and he became the first football halfback to do that, to run for more than 200 yards. Big day. Uh, yeah, so I mean that would be a big day even in, in modern sports. So right, not bad. And continuing on, the the red the uh, team formerly known as the Braves fired Dietz in 1934 after a 500 season. Uh, they replaced him with Eddie Casey, who lasted only a season, going two eight and one with the Reds. Uh, excuse me, the team formerly known as the Braves. It's a, it's like you're saying the the artist formerly known as Prince. Yeah, like it's the <laughs> team that would actually become that name, but also that name doesn't exist anymore. It's kind of confusing, but I figure that's right. the most offensive way. No, you're, least, you're saying it, right? Yeah, I, the I least offensive the way, to, way say to say it. Right, right. Uh, they replaced Dietz with Eddie Casey, who lasted only a season going 2-8-1 uh, with the team formerly known, uh, or formerly known as the Braves, scoring a measly 65 points in 11 games, which was terrible. Mm-hmm. In 1936, their fortunes turned around in a big way, thanks partially to the first NFL draft in history. And this came from the, an article called the 1936, uh, the NFL's first draft, uh, a pro football hall of fame article. Right. So the draft was held at the Ritz Carlton in Philadelphia and is done like it is today. The team with the league's worst record picked first, the league champion picked last. The Redskins got the second overall pick pick one behind their rival and still current rival, the Philadelphia Eagles. Sorry, I'll say that with a, the team formerly known as the Braves got the second overall pick one behind their future and current rival, the Philadelphia Eagles, the team formerly known as the Braves and now uh, Washington football team have the distinction of having their first ever pick because the Eagles pick Jay Berwanger, who was a halfback and the first ever Heisen trophy winner decided not to play pro football 
Berwanger wanted to preserve his amateur status to compete in the Olympics and went on to work at a rubber factory and even work as a sports writer. So we know that's not the best. I mean, I can't imagine working in a rubber factory is any fun and working as a sports writer uh, back then might have been probably a little easier than it is today, but tough. I don't know if it'd be, did they have like recorders back then? In the old movies, you always see them with like notebooks. They're always like scribbling yeah. in their notebooks and stuff. So, right. I mean, that makes it hard, but there are also a ton of newspapers where you could get work and you traveled around the country with, I'm just going by the movie. <laughs> right. Versions, think how many like, quotes were just messed up though. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking of the movie, the natural. Um, so the, uh, and that was from an article called the Berkeley, da- or Berkeley daily Gazette by George Kirksey in 1940. Um, so that made Riley Smith, who the team formerly known as the Braves, uh, picked not hockey's current Riley Smith, but uh, yeah, Riley Smith was the first ever player drafted in the NFL who actually played. He was a blocking back from the University of Alabama. They also drafted Wayne Milner, a future Pro Football Hall of Famer, an offensive and defensive end. They hired future Pro Football Hall of Famer coach Ray Flaherty. Uh, In their final season in Boston, Flaherty led the team to their first winning season. Unfortunately, in their last regular season game, less than 500 or excuse me less than 5000 fans took in the game at Fenway Park so Marshall decided Marshall was the owner decided he wanted the game played in a neutral site which was the Polo Grounds in New York against uh, the Packers and without home field advantage they lost 21 to 6 uh, so I was going to actually ask you where they played and you right when you <laughs> and you said Fenway right away I was going to ask if they played at Fenway yeah yeah they were and the Boston Patriots played at Fenway the now the New England Patriots, formerly Boston Patriots, played at Fenway uh, way okay. back when. My dad, I think, saw a game there. Uh, oh. And then after the season, the Redskins, with the second-to-last pick, took that. And, and that would be, their obviously, their final season in Boston with Flaherty as their coach when they lost to the Packers. After the season, before they had announced a move, so still technically uh, the Boston team formerly known as the Braves, uh, they pick with their second to last pick. Wow, yeah, Mr. Irrelevant almost. With their second to last pick, they took, in quotes, Slangin' Sammy Baugh out of Texas <laughs> Christian University. He was one of the pioneers of the forward pass, which the team formerly known as the Braves would use a lot in their future. Unfortunately, Baugh never played a game in Boston because Marshall moved the team formerly known as the Braves to D.C. in 1937 in search of more fans, but Baugh was drafted when the team was still in Boston, so I give the credit to the Boston team. So you mentioned um, Slang and Sammy or whatever his name was. Um, it was one of the pioneers of the forward pass. What did they do before that? <laughs> like, so it was, it was kind of like rug, it was running, and then it was kind of like rugby, like backwards laterals. Ah, uh, okay. Um, so this Michael Wilbon of PTI fame in the uh-huh. Washington Post has a very interesting quote uh, from his article, Baugh belongs in the quarterback conversation. He wrote, uh, he brought not just victories, but thrills and ignited the red. Uh, this is in quotes, so I'm, I'll say it. He brought not just victories, but thrills and ignited the Redskins with a passion. Even the worst Redskins periods can barely diminish. He was the first to play the position of quarterback as it's played today. The first to make the forward pass an effective weapon rather than an act of desperation. So that's pretty cool. I think the fact that he traces the, the team was in Boston when they, when they 
drafted him and that he had such a profound impact on the NFL to now the league is basically a throwing league. Definitely. Yeah. So going back to the forward pass, just one, one other question. So was, was it a rule change that allowed the forward pass? No, I think from, and this isn't a factual thing, but I just remember reading a little bit about it. I, I, I don't know if I'm correct. I think the forward pass was always allowed in football, but it was kind of seen as like, um, like not cool or like like a, an unwritten rule that you didn't break way back when. Right. Um, and then when teams started to use it more and more, they're like, hey, this is legal. Why don't we do it? So, um, and if you think about it, it's kind of a scary risk for a team that like you don't throw the ball in the air very far. You're basically the whole game of rugby and then of football back then was possession. Like you held the ball, you didn't give it up. You got tackled. Yeah. They try to get the ball, like throwing the, I mean, I imagine today throwing the ball, uh, what we know is like the forward pass kind of felt like more of just an inevitable fumble. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> I mean, I don't Sound, know. If, it sounded like it was that basically rugby, but I, yeah, I don't know what, like I should learn more about the NFL back then because I don't know what the rules were. Because if you make a forward pass today, it's an incomplete pass if it lands on the ground. It can be intercepted, yeah. but uh, I don't know much about it either. Just remember seeing pictures, yeah. those leather helmets. And... But I, th- I think back then it was not a. It was kind of an unwritten rule that it was something that people didn't really do. Yeah. Um, but that was basically it. From then on, the team formerly known as the Braves would playing Washington, where they would become known or where they were known as the Redskins. It wasn't until this July the 13th that the team finally dropped their racist nickname after 87 years, thanks to a massive amount of pressure from the social justice movement. That was uh, part of the reason, I mean, the main reason people had been trying to get them to get rid of the Redskins name, as we all know, if if we watch the news for a long time. And finally, uh, with all the other things going on in our country this past summer, it finally happened. So now they're known as the Washington football team. Hopefully and they, there's they, been, there's also, there's been other teams like the university of North Dakota or the fighting Sioux at one time. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, there's, there, there has been pressure to remove some of these names and yeah, we'll, but it feels we'll see like if it keeps moving forward, Washington, the Washington football team and, and their owner, Dan Snyder, feels like they've stuck to that the longest. Uh, yeah. just like, cause I know North Dakota changed their name a few years back. Right. Yeah. Probably five years ago, I would think maybe. Yeah. It's yeah, I would say about five years. And they had a, I mean, they had a pretty their hockey team, which is their their main sport, has a pretty sordid history. They're the guy who their big donor who donated the arena and everything was. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing a real sports on it. It was like a Nazi supporter and had Nazi paraphernalia in his his uh, his house. And I think that was part of the reason why they they switched sooner. But even the the Indians, the Cleveland Indians, got rid of Chief Wahoo. Was it two mm-hmm. years ago, last season that they did it that? It was recently. Yeah, and then the uh, the Atlanta Braves. I wonder if they're going to have. Uh, I don't know if they stopped doing the tomahawk chop there or not. But yeah, I, I don't. I haven't heard about it in recent time, recent years. So I don't think it, I don't know if it's still allowed or not. But I would think, <laughs> yeah, probably not. Well, there are all sorts. Of, I mean, you, you hear every year different controversies surrounding mascots of 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 different. Uh, ethnic background or or are considered racist and Mm -hmm. i mean obviously it's up to the people who are being represented to decide whether they're offended or not and i I think in this case certainly right rightfully so and that people have been complaining about it for years so yeah uh 
glad that the team finally changed their name to the Washington football team. Hopefully next season with some time, and it happened quickly. So hopefully next season with some time to, to think about another mascot, they can go with a, a, a name besides the Washington football team that also mm-hmm. isn't offensive. Um, yeah, but that was it. The team formerly known as the Boston Redskins, or excuse me, the team formerly known as the Boston Braves, which became the Boston Redskins, which became the Washington Redskins, which finally became the Washington football team. Good. Yeah, that was uh, quite a history lesson. <laughs> a lot of stuff I didn't know at all. Yeah, it was when I was reading it, I was blown away. But um, let's hear what, what let's hear some about the uh, the NHL disaster. Yes, <laughs> this was quite a disaster. So once upon a time the National Hockey League had a team in Cleveland, uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Um, the, they, they actually had a team in the NHL from 1976 to 1978. So very short time period, two seasons. Yeah. They were called the Cleveland Barons. Uh, my sources for the Cleveland Barons history, um, I actually found an article in the Hockey News um, that was written in uh, 2017. It was titled The Mistake by the Lake, Remembering the Cleveland Barons. Um, it was written by Vince Guerreri. I also used um, as a source uh, the website funwhileitlasted.net, um, and they had some information. They, they, they had a ton of information on the Barons and other um, professional franchises. Um, before they were in Cleveland, actually, they were known as the California Golden Seals, um, that, which you talked a little bit about in our first pod. Yeah, they go all the way uh, back to the the seals. Go all the way back to the WHL, which they were the the Los Angeles Blades rival, rival, and they actually succeeded in being the NHL's expansion franchise in San Francisco. So that's like a direct right. link, right? And uh, yes, they were they were based in Oakland at that time. Um, the the as I said, the franchise originated in Oakland in 1967. The NHL expanded. Uh, to 12 teams, adding six teams. Um, and um, so at that time, uh, the league, you know, was get, gaining a bit more popularity in the United States, and they figured they would expand. The Golden Seals actually ended up leaving California for Cleveland after plans to build a new arena in San, San Francisco fell through. Didn't they play at, like, someplace called, like, the Cow Palace or something? Yes, the cow <laughs> the cow palace actually is where the San Jose Sharks started play. I, I don't know how many years they played there, but I th- when they expanded to, or they moved to San or not, it, it was a expansion team. I should say, sorry. Yeah. Um, they played at the Cow Palace, and that was in the early nineties, I believe. Yeah, ninety two, yeah. ninety three, maybe. Yeah. Um, so the minority owner George Gund the third, which I will I'll get into the the Gun family a little bit later, um, convinced the majority owner Melvin Swig to move the team to his hometown Cleveland um, for the 1976-77 uh, season. Um, they decided to name the team the Cleveland Barons in, in honor of the successful AHL team 
um, that played in the city from 1929 to 1973. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> Cleveland has a rich history of pro- professional hockey. Um, you know, obviously the AHL is one step below the NHL. So um, they, they had some good players, obviously, and, and, and a ton of history there. Who was there? Uh, I mean, I, I don't mean to put you on the spot. Um, who uh-huh. was, do you know who their, the AHLs, Cleveland Barons, who their like team was, their affiliated NHL team? Or did I not? did not find that. They might I, not I have had one. I don't know. Um, I actually tried to look and I couldn't find it. Um, okay. So. No worries. They might yeah. have not had one. Sometimes they weren't affiliated with an NHL team. Yeah. Cause I mean, I remember even recent times, like nineties, like AHL and IHL teams, not even, they were like independent. Some of these teams. Mm-hmm. So um, as I said, they were named the, the Cleveland Barons. Um believe it or not though cleveland as i you know i talked a little bit about the the history of the ahl team cleveland um has been was mentioned as an nhl destination as early as 1930 wow yes and how is that gonna work well this will blow your mind this this next blurb here um this the struggling montreal canadians (laughs) almost moved almost moved there Wow, that is like that's kind of. <laughs> it may be the most blowing. storied franchise in that hockey history. Yeah, I'm sure they are glad they waited. Yeah, and that was during the depression, so times were tough, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so who knows what was like? It was yeah. I you know when I was doing some research and saw that, I was really surprised. Anyway, uh, they had uh, also had um, three expansion. Uh, bids that were turned down, I, th- I believe, in the 50s and 60s. Um, so the Barons, you know, um, were transitioning and moving to um, Cleveland. Uh, they played actually in, uh, in, in the suburbs in Richfield, Ohio, which is a suburb of Cleveland, obviously. And the arena was actually huge. Um, it held 18,544 seats. Wow. Yeah, so it was a really big arena, you know, potential to be the team was marketed correctly. Yeah. Probably a lot of success with the, the history of hockey in Cleveland. Yeah, cold um, weather at, team. Right. Um, and at the time, the Richfield Coliseum was actually the largest seat capacity in the NHL. Um, the And then NBA's Cleveland Cav- Cavaliers also played there. So going into, so <laughs> the off ice stuff was so bad. I, I didn't feel a need to t- really talk too much about what was going on the ice. Cause, no, cause there wasn't much going that's on. That's the either. most interesting stuff. Right. So the, the approval ca- came for the golden seals to move, um, move to Cleveland in, late august the nhl really was slow like there were agreements to move the team there but the nhl hadn't approved it till late august (laughs) so if you figure the season starts uh these days it starts in october i'm guessing in the 70s it was around that time as well so that doesn't give you much time to promote your team no and you know with not really an opportunity to promote in cleveland the franchise was also lacking money for marketing. So 
Uh, just not a great start. Um, the, the team had no visibility in the city with NHL's late approval. And in their home home, the team drew only 8,900 fans. Wow. I mean, that's always the common thread that we talk about when, when we talk about these lost teams is how badly they, they drew players or drew fans. Right. And which makes sense. A, a theme so far I'm seeing, obviously we're early into this is that a lot of these, well, I, I shouldn't say that. I mean, some of the, at least the teams I've researched have been Midwest cities and they've really struggled. Um, I mean, your team was out in the East this this round, but I don't So far, I'm finding mid, uh, Midwest teams that are struggling. In the home opener, I mentioned how bad the turnout was um, for fans. And the, fan, the franchise in the first year only drew 10,000 or more fans in an 18,000-plus arena, seven of the 40 home games. Wow. That is yeah. just bad. Basically minor league crowds. Yeah, they must have lost uh, a lot of money. Oh, yeah. The attendance was actually worse than they had in Oakland. <laughs> Ugh, it's just, I mean, you wonder why that's the, I mean, it, it's because they showed up so late after the NHL announced, or the people, they, they promoted them so late. Like, you would have thought they would have been able to have uh, have a team, like have a rabid fan base there after they having an AHL team there for so long. Well, and also you have to wonder what ticket prices were too like because mm-hmm. you know if they're as i mentioned they were had no money to even market really um i wonder if they just jacked up the prices on tickets um so as i mentioned that the attendance was worse in cleveland than it was in oakland another one here the attendance was even worse than the cleveland crusaders um, who moved um, due to the NHL coming to um, to Cleveland. And the Cleveland Crusaders w- played in the World Hockey Association, oh. which was a, base, a, a league in the 70s that was basically set up to compete against the NHL. And that was that because of the um, rights, like the franchise fee and stuff that, because that we talked about that in our last, in our first episode, like, there are a lot of times that the WHA and the ABA and uh, the the competitor leagues to the NHL and the NBA, I think, would move their would have their franchises intentionally in cities that didn't have often in cities that didn't have uh, NHL or NBA teams because they would have had to pay that league like a rights fee to have another professional team in that league in that city or something like that. Huh, interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. The 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 Crusaders actually moved to Minnesota to become the the Fighting Saints. Um, and the Fighting Saints also played in the WHA at the time. In early 1977, team owner Melvin Swig said the team might not finish the season due to payroll issues. Oh wow! Yeah, it was bad. Swig asked the NHL for a bailout, but the league quickly denied the request. Things got so bad. Workers were were not paid for two months, like team management. And things became even worse as the, f- the franchise failed missing two playoffs. So the NHL had no idea what to do with the struggling franchise, and they almost folded the team. Oh. Um, the, <laughs> this is hilarious. You would get 
leagues teams would get fined these days for um, trying to court players to play for their team. But during the seventies, some of the Barons were being courted to play for other teams in the NHL. Wow. I got to look at their roster and see if there's anybody I like recognize. There's like one guy I recognize (laughs) and I'll, I'll talk about him a little later. Um, the situation became so embarrassing. The players threatened to um, not take the ice in a game in February versus the Colorado Rockies. <laughs> yeah, That's... it was bad, man. Um, in a final dire move, the NHL loaned the Barons $1.3 million so they could at least finish the season. The the guns who I, I mentioned earlier, um, this was in the 1977-78 season, the second season. The family, the, the gun family, put a ton of money into the team, and things were actually looking up for the struggling fan- franchise. Um, early season success uh, was, you know, was something that the team was seeing early on. Um, they beat the the defending Stanley Cup champions the Montreal Canadiens in an early regular season game. The team they had over 12,000 fans there. Wow. The team that almost went to Cleveland in the thirties. <laughs> yeah, right. So the Barons continued their early season success, knocking off NHL powerhouses of the time at that time in three consecutive games, defeating the Toronto Maple Leafs, New York Islanders and the Buffalo Sabres. Wow. But the, you know, they reverted back to their, old ways pretty quickly and the wheels fell off and they lost 15 in a row after that. That's a bad losing streak. I can't think of it. I don't remember what the, the ducks had a pretty bad one this two years ago, like something like 11 games or 10 games, but 15 is just unheard of. Yeah. And I mean, who wants to pay for tickets seeing a team just get your hometown team just get destroyed every night. Yeah. So after the season, the Guns tried to buy the Col- the Coliseum and failed. The team was not popular at all, and the Gun family was looking for a way out of Cleveland. Like the Barons, the Minnesota North Stars were struggling also. Um, Minnesota had a an NHL team also, um, you know, and I mentioned that they had a WHA team, the the Fighting Saints, at the time, and um, they were struggling like the Barons and the two teams actually merged. Wow. Yeah. And they retained the name, the Minnesota North stars. And obviously we're playing in Minnesota and the guns became the principal owner of the North stars. Imagine being a, a player on the team, like on either of those teams who got like, cause they couldn't have kept all the both players, on, like both rosters in full. Yeah. So imagine being a player on one of those teams that was like, uh, obviously, you're not great because your teams are terrible, but like, yeah. like just all well, of a sudden, hopefully, they, like, hopefully they were able to catch on with other team, another team, sign a contract. Yeah. It's just such a weird that you talk, you, I mean, you hear about the NHLPA and the NHL and everything these days. They care so much about like more jobs opening for, for players. They, I mean, right. it's always good for play that imagine like rosters shrinking so quickly in the amount of available spots in the NHL. Like it must've had a huge impact on, on a lot of the players in that league. And plus there wasn't a lot of teams. No. <laughs> During those days. Uh, so as I said, the guns became the principal 
owner of the North Stars, but the team remained in the Twin Cities. North Stars, despite new ownership, continued to struggle. And then ownership then tried to bring hockey back to the Bay Area. And this was near the the end of the the 1980s. Uh, So going a bit way, a bit in another direction from the Barons, but in 1991, the guns were rewarded an expansion franchise, the San Jose Sharks. Oh no. After that disaster of a performance in Cleveland, in right. Minnesota. So the, the guns sold their stake of the North size and a group led by the Hartford Whalers founder, Howard Baldwin became the owner of the North stars. And the sharks. Oh, oh, the owner of the North stars bought from the guns and the guns owned the sharks. Yeah. Got it. That's interesting. Right. Getting back to the Barons. In two seasons, the Barons had a record of 47, 87, and 26 ties. Yuck. 26 ties is, might be the worst. Uh, like, <laughs> How many horrible games? It's oh. just like I hated ties. I'm, I'm, I love at least three-on-three three overtime. And, I mean, I'd rather have a shootout than the game ended a tie. So, <laughs> Yeah, that was such a weird thing the NHL did, like. The tie, like the game's over. Oh, we're just gonna, it's a tie. Uh, yeah, so it's, I'm glad the NHL made some changes on that. Um, and yeah, I mentioned earlier they didn't make the playoffs in both of their seasons. Um, the Barons' all time leading score was center, and you might know this name, Dennis Marouk. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, in 156 regular season games, Marouk scored 64 goals. And added 85 assists for the Barons. Not bad. So like, yeah, no, and he this. I looked up Marouk's stat. Is it Marouk? I think so. I, I I've I looked up his stats, and he actually scored 60 goals for the Capitals one season, Washington Capitals. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah. So he, he had was a, good. he had a good career. He was just on a bad roster. Right. I, yeah, and the Capitals weren't that great then either. Okay, the Gun family were actually a wealthy and prominent family. Um, in Cleveland, uh, and uh, the, George Gunn II was actually the president of Cleveland Trust, which was at the time Ohio's largest bank. So that's how the guns became wealthy. Uh, the current Cavaliers actually play, well, they play in Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, but um, it was once known as the Gund Arena. Really? Was yeah. that but it was not the same one. It's not the same one that they, they just, it was named after the, the family, but it's not the one that they, that the um, Barons and Cle- uh, Cavaliers originally played in, right? They no. Yeah. So one. the, the Baron, the Barons and Cavaliers played in Richfield, um, oh, yeah. the, the suburb as, as I talked about yeah. earlier. Yeah. So this was actually a, a um, when it was Gondarina, it was, uh, you know, they, they, built Gundarina in an effort to like re- revitalize downtown Cleveland. I, you know, they had the rock and roll hall of fame and this new arena and we're just trying to bring some more life to the Cleveland downtown. Yeah, that makes sense. And that is the story of <laughs> the Cleveland Barons, a very unsuccessful NHL franchise. We we should just call this uh, this podcast Major League Shit Shows because that's basically <laughs> yeah. And I tried to find like some positive, like something positive about this franchise, but there really wasn't anything. And it didn't really. 
it, I guess, well, I guess the, the guns, not the Barons, but the guns ch- changed hockey by getting um, San Jose, uh, uh, you know, hockey back in Northern California. And obviously you know, we know the Sharks are very popular up there. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if the, so I remember back when I played, yeah. So back when I played um, youth hockey, the the Cleveland Barons were a team. I think they still are like a youth program. They're like a, yeah, they still have, they still use that, use that name. There was also a junior hockey team. I don't know if they still exist. They were called the Cleveland Barons. Yeah. So like we learned in some previous, yeah, I think so. There's a Cleveland Barons junior team because I'm seeing a, a banner on their, uh, on, uh, maybe not. North, they, they, when they played in the North American league at one time. Yeah. Um, Jim but yeah, Jim. that's cool. I mean, the, the, I remember hearing a name and thinking like, that's kind of an interesting, interesting name for a hockey team. Um, but it, once again, like it moved around a bunch and became almost insolvent. And that's a story of a lot of lost teams. Right. And the, the crazy thing about just Cleveland hockey in general, they have a deep, like rich history. You know, like I mentioned, like they almost had a team in 1930. Yeah. It's almost and, like. And to see that they don't have a team now, it's kind of crazy. I mean, there's hot, there's pro NHL hockey in Ohio with the, the Columbus blue jackets, but it's just, you know, it's kind of weird that there's no hockey in Cleveland. Um, especially, I mean, not too many American cities have that type of history. Yeah. Hockey. It, it's kind of the reverse of like we talked about in episode two basketball in Pittsburgh, like there's some, some history there, but they don't have a basketball team, but you wonder if right. the NHL, if any of these, teams and like if Arizona or Florida or I mean hopefully not Seattle or, or Vegas or something if a team ends up really struggling financially and they and end up moving a team you wonder if Cleveland would be a good kind of a good fit because they have a natural rivalry in Columbus and they have that history and they could they could call themselves the Barons again although maybe they wouldn't <laughs> yeah uh, but like it's it's a good it's a it's a good story and a, an interesting it definitely had an impact on on current major league sports yeah definitely all right well i think that'll do it um where can everybody find you on twitter uh you can find me at, at a w l e n n a a w n and you can find me at delhi tweets on twitter as well it's d-e-l-l-i-t-w-e-e-t-s and please rate us five stars if you like us and and suggest us to your friends and send me either of us information on Twitter or DMS about teams you'd like us to cover or stories you think are interesting, or even some, some connection you have to any of these teams. We'd love to hear it. We'll talk about it on the podcast. Uh, Yeah. So we'll see you again soon.